Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. This is our Monday show. <clears throat> I have my partner Eddie Chavez, retired uh, California Highway Patrol. We've known each other since we were children in Catholic school at Santa Rosa Catholic School. Yep. We go <laughs> way back. Back then when they had full habited nuns, Eddie. Remember those days? Oh, yes, Justin. I don't think they have too many of them left anymore. But yeah, that's what we did. Yeah, and 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 the and the priests back then, if you look at our pictures in Holy Communion and, and the like, all the priests had cassocks back then. They had cassocks and they had big old pectoral crucifixes like the ones the Fathers of Mercy were you. Remember? Yeah. Absolutely, Jess. I mean that's that's traditional Catholicism as far as I remember, like that, right? Yeah, God willing, uh that uh you know there's a renaissance that we go back to those days because we need to go back to tradition because we've seen that modernism in the last couple of decades has not worked. Nope, definitely not. And I agree with you, Jess. We need to get back to the to basics. That's it. Good and catechism, that, too. And that's what we're doing here with this the, on Monday's show. Uh, we're going back to basics. Um, there's a famous phrase that Father Ripperger, Dan Schneider, Kyle always use. They say, we fight an ancient enemy, demons. We fight an ancient enemy. We have to use ancient weapons. And that's what this book is... is uh, Put out by Liber Crystal. It's right here. It's called the Liber Crystal Method, a field manual for spiritual combat. Uh, Dan was in the army. He was in Afghanistan. He was a helicopter pilot. So he uses a lot of that language. I think that Eddie that appeals to men, which is good. Uh, he's not using Pee Wee Herman language. He's using military language. And I think all that structure and formation. I think it appeals to men, right? Yeah, Jess. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. You read this book, you're going to be reading. Uh, uh, how does Dan call it? A, a field manual for spiritual combat. And that's what it is, Jess. It gives uh, talks about tactics and weapons, etc. We're going to get into that today. But that's the beauty of this book is that you read something and it's not it's not religious. It's not it's not for the quiet uh, person that goes into mass and sits down and doesn't say anything. This is for the active doers of our faith, Jess. And that's what I love about this book. It's great. Yeah. We left up uh, we left any on the preface. It was on page uh, uh 17, and I, I got exactly marked where we were at. Here's what Dan writes, and remember, Dr. Dan Schneider is a professor at the University of Steubenville. He's also on Father Exorcism's team, and when Father Ripperger wants to set up another exorcism team somewhere, he sends Dr. Dan Schneider or Kyle Clement to set up the team. And so this is the field manual that's used by Liber Crystal. Um, Dan writes, as for the individual in need of reconciliation of either or both types, Sometimes God asks him to suffer, for in that suffering, he taps, he taps into the redemptive power of Calvary. Eddie, just that sentence right there, that's what a lot of Catholics don't understand. They run around from one healing mass to another saying, I want to be healed, I want to be healed. Well, maybe God wants us to suffer for a while, suffer for our sins, less time in purgatory, suffer for the sins of our family members, reparation for, and the reparation uh for the sins committed against God. Sometimes God chooses those that he loves to suffer. I know people are saying, what? That's not the Protestant health and wealth gospel. You better believe it's not. No. Yeah, it's true, Jess. A lot of people think that that coming into the church for these uh, these uh, rites, these exorcism or deliverance rites, that it's going to be easy. The priest is going to wave a magic wand and things are going to go away. But no, sometimes uh, 
Uh, it takes uh, over a year to heal somebody. And in that time, they're suffering. That's the importance of this, of this book. And that's, that, and that's how, like Dan says, you tap into Calvary. He says, right. as suggested by Father Amorth above, penance, both sacramental and the sacrificial interior disposition and practices which atone for sins helps in spiritual combat by assisting us to conform our souls to the divine will. So that's ultimately what an exorcist or a priest wants to do. They want to conform the sinner, the penitent soul to what? To the divine will of God. The process of reconciliation, moreover, means bringing oneself and one's spiritual faculties into conformity with the will of God. Although the presence of diabolic affliction may have prompted you to seek help, liberation in the Catholic sense means reconciliation at the level of the soul, the removal of the obstacles to grace, and the spiritual faculties, conformity of intellect and will. Bear in mind this nuanced definition of reconciliation as you read this manual. So basically that's what Dan argues the whole book is you got to have to get the intellect and the will back to God, oriented back to God, the intellect, what you think, what you put in your mind, how you think, how you meditate and your will, your actions, the things that you do, both of the intellect and will have to be oriented back to God in order for a person to live uh, liberated from the diabolical. That's, that's, that's what the whole book's about right there, that last sentence. And you know, just a lot of people don't understand that the intellect and the will, that's part of suffering. When you have to take yourself away from what you're normally doing, the sin you're, you're normally uh, uh, committing, then th this is a suffering for you. You know, to come back to the way Christ wants us to live can sometimes be suffering in itself. So, so that's part of it. I mean, that's, uh, that's essentially suffering is that we have to change our way of doing things. That's, uh, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, Eddie, and, and that was, by the way, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. That was today's gospel in, in, uh, at Holy Mass. It's uh, Matthew chapter 16, today's gospel. Uh, our Lord says, verse 24, whoever said to, who, Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wishes to come after me must, must deny himself, take up his Cadillac, no, take up his cross and follow me. Okay, this is not the prosperity gospel. This is not the health and wealth gospel. What's the, what's the cross? The cross is an instrument of torture. All right, Eddie, you want to finish up the preface there? Yeah, let's go here. Uh, just as Roger's rules presupposes that the ranger is physically and mentally fit, having completed both basic training and specialty training in guerrilla warfare, so too does the book presuppose a baseline of psychological, emotional, and spiritual fitness. Those with a history of mental, uh, mental health issues should consult with their mental health professional uh, in addition to their parish priest. For more, uh, see your parish priest or visit uh, www.libracristo.org. Uh, unless otherwise specified, the suggested prayers are either public domain or come from Father Ripperger's book, Deliverance Prayers for the Use by the Laity. Uh, each lesson includes some basic prayers which, with additional ones located in the appendix which is uh, tied to each chapter. So that's what we're talking about. Just this book has appendixes. It has uh, the prayer regiments that we've, we've talked about, but not in detail. And that's, uh, that's part of the book. That's part of spiritual combat. Let's go to Dan's section where he starts talking about the overview. This is his overview of spiritual warfare. And he explains it very well because he explains it using the story of David and Goliath. So this is, this is kind of the big picture of the book. Dan writes, uh, obviously, it, it quotes 1 Samuel 17, 48. 
The Philistine then moved to meet David at close quarters while David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. <clears throat> Dr. Schneider writes, a prime example of guerrilla warfare from the Old Testament is the popular story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, where a young shepherd boy uses unconventional methods to defeat a seasoned Philistine warrior. While the weapons used by soldiers in warfare have advanced over the ages, soldiers, soldiering itself is rather timeless. David's choice of weapon, was, of weapon was primitive but effective. The common shepherd's sling and stones, smoothed by the running waters of a wadi. Ancient armies also utilize slingers. Archaeologists have discovered primitive sling stones engraved not only with military unit insignia, but also messages such as take that or ouch or for Pompey's backside. Modern soldiers also inscribe their rockets and missiles with flags, unit markings, and similar messages. Before etching the cross of Christ onto your stones, however, let us first show you how to wield the sling safely and accurately. Go ahead and pick it up. It says, Christians have long seen David's defeat of Goliath as a symbolic uh, prefiguring of Jesus Christ's defeat of the devil on the cross. In the second century, for example, uh, St. Hippolytus of Rome wrote that just as David dispatched the giant by cutting off his head, Jesus crushed the head of the devil, uh, Genesis 3.15, whom Hippolytus referred to as the demon Goliath. For Hippolytus, uh, the five stones of David were symbolic of the five wounds of Christ. The staff prefigured the authority of the king and high priest Christ uh, and, and the sling, which launches the stone in the new law, the old law was uh, con contained in the five books of Moses, and therefore the laws of the church. These, as I wrote elsewhere, uh, are the armaments of victory, the cross of Jesus Christ, priestly authority, and the teachings of the church. Goliath's uh, defeat prefigured Christ's victory over the devil, sin, and death. Thus, the cross of Jesus, where he received his five wounds, is not a sign of defeat, but rather ultimate victory. In a similar way, St. Augustine specifically linked the sword of David to the cross, noting that having smitten and overthrown the Goliath with the sling, David took the enemy's sword with it, and with it cut off his head. This our David also did, uh, overthrew the devil with his own weapons. We do the same, Augustine wrote, when we reject the devil's lies and profess the ancient Christian faith. These are your weapons, stones, slings, staff, and sword. When the Israelites saw Goliath, however, they all retreated before him, terrified. It says it in the Bible in 1 Samuel 17, 24. The demon's first weapon is fear. David, however, sized up his opponent, calculated the risk, and acted in faith. You must do the same. First, however, you must know your enemy, his origins, and his weapons and tactics. A demon is a malevolent, non-bodily, invisible creature. Up, ah, I hear the music coming. We'll pick it up. We're talking about, we're giving an overview of uh, Father Ripperger's method, uh, Liber Cristo, on healing and deliverance. And we're looking at the section called Overview Slaying Your Giants. We will be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Monday, Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, Jess Ramirez, Eddie Chavez. We're uh, going here through the Father Chad Ripperger's liberation and healing and deliverance method that he uses. What he does is he goes through deep catechesis. He knows that the person that's diabolically afflicted has to be catechized. Without catechesis, understanding the faith, and without returning to a life of the sacraments and having the soul clean, the person's not going to get liberated. And that's... uh, that's what sets Father's method. Uh, that's what set, it sets it apart from any other method being out uh, out there being used in the Catholic Church. Going to uh, Doctor Schneider, who's part of Father Team's exorcism team, he he writes: A demon is a malevolent, non bodily, and invisible creature of whom Saint Peter says prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. First Peter five eight. The Fourth Lateran Council affirms that the devil and other and other demons have indeed been created by God as good by nature, but they themselves became evil. Thus a demon is a fallen angel who was created good by God, but fell from heaven due to pride and disobedience. The same... Yeah, Jesse, that's one yeah. That's one of the questions... I'm sorry, no, I'm just saying, that's one of the questions I'm, all, I'm always asked. It's like, well, if, if God's all good, why did he create the devil and the other angels? Well, he didn't create them evil. He created them by nature... Angel. Bingo. They're, they're created by good. It was by their free will that they chose to depart from God's law. And therefore, now we have, uh, uh, you know, evil uh, demons. So so they have the same uh, ability that we do just as far as choosing what we want to do. Yeah. That's that's part of catechesis. That's what what we have to know before we advance in this in this faith. Yeah. And one thing that angels and demons and humans all have in common all three of us, angels, demons, and humans, have an intellect and a will. God God has not taken that away from anyone to choose. The will gives you the, the ability to choose. Angels right now are choosing to follow God. Demons right now choose to rebel against God. And their will is pretty much fixed at this point because it's it's they're so set in their ways. Us as humans, we vacillate. That's why we go to confession. Eddie, you want to pick up the next paragraph? Yeah, definitely. It says here, uh, the same council also said that man sinned at the suggestion of the devil. Accordingly, one of the names uh, the Bible, that Bible uses for the devil is the tempter, Matthew 4, 3, who entices us to sin. According to St. James, blessed is the man who uh, preserves in temptation. Well, perseveres, perseveres. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> perseveres uh, in temptation for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life that he promised to those who love him. Uh, the devil continues to tempt, however, by uh, luring and enticing a person with his own desires. Then the desire conceives and brings forth sin, and when sin reaches maturity, it gives birth to death. Thus, before devouring a spiritually dead soul, he first lures and entices it into sin. Yeah, just think about the movie Nefarious. Before yeah. Nefarious was killed by 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 uh, the state. The state. Yeah, the demon tempted him first, enticed him into sin, one sin after another that le- that ended him up on death row, uh, and then at the very end, the devil ha- had the state execute him. Uh, th- and that's the goal of the demon is is the destruction of the human person. 
the destruction of your soul totally separated from God in hell and even the destruction of your body. It says here, he then moves from tempter to accuser. A working definition of a demon is a lawyer from hell. That is a legalistic and opportunistic prosecutor. He scours the horizon for any violations, waiting for the opportunity to pounce and levy an accusation against, against us, the human person. One biblical title for the devil is the accuser, as seen in Revelation, where St. John recounts that the accuser of our brothers is cast out, who accuses them before God day and night, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. So, what does he accuse? Especially grave sins, such as sexual deviancy, abortion, abuse, and incest, and participating in occult activity, all open doors to diabolic accusation and allow the demon's subsequent involvement in a person's life. When you commit a grave sin, you grant a privilege, this is important, you grant a privilege to the demon who in turn now accuses you before God day and night. That is, due to some sinful behavior of yours, he lays claim to you. He says, look, God, he gave me permission to be here. Accordingly, this program will teach you how to remove any so-called legal claims of the enemy by opening up the lines of grace to your soul, which belongs by right to God the Father due to the baptismal seal. So let me just mention two things. Demons, you'll hear some people, they'll say, uh, oh, uh, even in a session, a demon will say, I have, I have rights over him or I have rights over her. Uh, a demon never has rights over us. A demon only has permissions uh, because the only, one of, the only one that has rights over us is God. Especially if you're a baptized Catholic, God, uh, God has complete right over you. However, what, what people do as a result of temptation, they give demons permission, permission, permission. Demons have, don't have rights over humans. They have permissions. And it's a series of permissions like we saw in the movie Nefarious. Uh, they grow in, in the, the temptations grow in intensity and duration. And as you give the demon permission, they, they, they take a stronger hold of your life. Eddie, you want to do the next paragraph? Yeah, let's do this one. This legal battle is fought in a most peculiar way. The demon responds to the imposition of order as much as to deliverance prayers themselves. As I stated elsewhere, those who seek lasting liberation must acquire a continual and habitual practice of the Catholic faith built on a monastic foundation of prayer and discipline. David did not pick up the sling for the first time when he confronted Goliath. Day after day alone among the sheep, he practiced and perfected the skill. Following his example, the Libra Crystal model accompanies you to the uh, gunnery range so as to speak, to teach how to speak, to teach you how to fight your daily spiritual battles. A key to accuracy with your sling is the spiritual discipline of Assis. Is it Assisis? Yes. Assisis. That is self-discipline and mortification. This includes a theology of suffering and the centrality of sacramental confession as a formidable as formidable as a two formidable weapons. Uh, yeah, they, yes, this this makes sense because as soon as you commit that sin, then the devil turns from from the defender, like, oh yeah, you can do this, don't worry about that. As soon as you commit the mortal sin, he becomes the prosecutor in this legal battle in heaven. That's, That's what yeah. he does. Now he says, God, look what he did. Now I have yeah. rights over him. He backstabs you. First, he yes. tempts you. Then he entangles you in these mortal sins. And then he accuses you. 
And, and by the way, that accusation, Eddie, and you and me have seen it, where you'll have the person who's diabolically afflicted. They'll tell you, they'll say, I hear these voices in my head constantly. They don't stop talking to me. They tell me that I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm a loser. Kill yourself. Kill your husband. Kill your kids. Kill your mom. I can't get these voices out of my head. <clears throat> so I put these iPods on. I try to listen to music to drown off the voices. You'll hear people that are diabolically afflicted. That's the, that's the, <clears throat> the common symptom of diabolical affliction is now the demon, because you've given him permission through a series of yeses and you conceded to the temptations, you've given him permission now. You're now enter into a relationship with a demon. And what happens now, he's inside your wire, as they say, and he's constantly communicating to you. He's constantly, he has a running narrative in your brain and it's all negative. And that's why people say, I can't work. I can't hold on a job. These voices, these voices. This is how it happens. Next paragraph. Accordingly, a sustained and lasting liberation must be preceded by a sacrificial and Eucharistic theology, which imbues all aspects of your life, spiritual, sacramental, familial, etc. This process will include saving not just you, but your whole family. For that to happen, God may require that you learn to offer your suffering for them. Remember, David's battle was single combat which was a one-on-one fight to the death between two warriors who represented the best from each opposing side. The two men fought center stage in the no-man's land between the two armies while the other warriors looked on, looked on but did not engage. David was fighting not just for his own survival, but for that of the entire house of Israel. Eddie, next. Yes. Similarly, you may be fighting for much more than yourself. St. Faustina Kowalska stated, if the angels were capable of envy, they would envy us for the two, for two things. One is the receiving of Holy Communion, and the other is suffering. If angels have a holy enemy of our ability to unite our bodily suffering with that of Jesus Christ, or what may, uh, well, many grandmothers uh, simply call offering up of life uh, difficulties, there must be something powerful to it. Thus, this program includes the neglected aspects of a penitential post posture, a penitential posture requisite for liberation. That is, while we, we excuse me, while we will teach you set prayers uh, that assist in liberation, there is no magic bullet or quick fix. That's as Father um, as Father Morth writes, there is always. I'm sorry, I thought there was the end. There's always a strong temptation for charismatic sensi- uh, sensitivities and exorcists of finding the quickest way to help, to heal by going outside the common sacred means to obtain grace. Those who seek quick solutions outside of the ordinary channels of obtaining grace, he says, unwittingly fall into the trap of magic. That's, that's the first huge, commandment, Jess. That's a huge statement that Father Gabriel Lamorth just made. Remember, Father Gabriel Lamorth. He's the, he's the godfather of exorcism in the 20th century. Uh, when people write about exorcism, he, he is the footnote. Father Amorth said, see, a lot of Catholics, they say, Father, Father, Eddie, just give me a prayer. Give me a prayer. I want to get healed. And, and what they're doing is they're looking at prayer like white magic. And they're looking at, at prayer superstitiously. And, and Father Ripper, I mean, Father Amorth uh, uh, just Amorth. said it there. He said, that he says there's a temptation for charismatics, sensitives, 
and even other priests that are exorcists, of finding the quickest way to heal by going outside the common sacred means to obtain grace. What's the common means? The sacraments. People, people just completely forget. You've got to go back to the sacraments. No, I don't want to go to Mass on Sunday. No, I don't want to go to confession. I don't believe in confessing my sins to a priest. You're not going to get healed then. Oh, but you, come on, just say a prayer over me. Just put your hands on my head and just say a prayer. This isn't white magic. A priest is not a shaman. This is not magic. This is, this is going to take 100% of the person's will. They're going to have to engage in the fight for their soul to liberate themselves. Eddie, like I told you last time we met, how easy is it, how easy is it for say, say, a young athlete or boys? How easy is it for a young man to get out of shape? Easy. How, easy, how difficult is it for a man or a woman to get in shape? Very difficult. See, same thing with diabolical affliction. How easy is it to invite a demon into your life? Very easy. How difficult is it to drive the demon out? Very difficult. It's going to take work. We'll be right back. We'll continue. Jesus 911, two-man car. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car. Hey, by the way, if you don't know anything about redemptive suffering, don't worry, you will know. Eddie and me can tell you, when you reach our age, you're going to know a lot about redemptive suffering. But here's the point. A lot of people suffer in vain. If you're just suffering old age, infirmities, but you don't offer them to God through prayer, then your, your sufferings are pointless. You, you don't help yourself or anybody else. If you're suffering, but you, you offer them to God every day, you know, morning offering or throughout the day, Lord, I offer you these sufferings. Guess what? Your sufferings are helping people in purgatory. Your suffering is meriting grace for your family members under you, your wife, your children, your offspring. Your sufferings as a patriarch they, they call down the grace of God. They bring the grace of God down to your family line. And so, again, as Catholics, if you want to know, well, how do I offer it up? Just say, just from, from your voice, from your lips to God, say, Lord, I offer you my, my, my sufferings of this day. Uh, Lord, take my sufferings. I unite them to your, to your cross on, on Calvary. And there's actually an official prayer, morning prayer. You probably, it's an old Catholic prayer. Oh, Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayer, works, joys, and sufferings of this day in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So, so there's actually prayers that, that where you offer it to God. Just do it once a day. And that way, if you suffer throughout the day, your entire day becomes a prayer in the morning. By that morning offering to God, offering your sufferings right in the morning, your whole day now is a prayer. Any ache, pain, infirmity that you have the entire day now, God is using it as an act of reparation for your family and the souls in purgatory. So. Yes, that should make us joyful. That should make us joyful that we're participating in our family's conversion. Yes. And so, you know, there, I don't think there's any other uh, religion, Jess, of all the 40,000 that there is, that, that offer the, the, the members of that religion what we have in this faith. And so it's, it's joyful. Even though suffering ain't fun, I'll be the first to tell you. Uh, you know what, Jess? We, uh, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, we have to understand that uh, that we are participating. One day we're going to sit back and say, gosh, we're both up here because you suffer for me, I suffer for you. God bless us, right? Yeah, that's it. Yes. 
And Eddie, and you just read that section just to show you how powerful suffering is. You read it from St. Faustina, the last where St. Faustina <laughs> says, if the angels were capable of envy, they would envy us humans for two things. One is receiving Holy Communion. They can't receive Holy Communion because they don't have a body. And the right. other is suffering. So the, 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 the angels know how powerful suffering is to call down God's grace, but angels don't have a body, so they can't suffer. And so they envy humans like, man, Jess and Eddie can suffer and call down God's grace upon their wife and kids and their grandkids. We can't do that. So I, I thought that was, that's a, a deep insight from St. Faustina. And you know, Jess, one of the things that I'm thinking about it, uh, just like today's government, the things that are not mentioned can be the most important so you never see a demon say, wow, he's suffering, but he's not offering it up. They don't mention suffering, Jess. They don't mention suffering, one, because they can't do it. And number two, because they know the power of it. And that's what we have to zone in on, right? That's right. That's why. Look, look at what happened. Uh, if you want to talk about the theology of suffering, how did how did heaven make reparation for the sins of mankind, starting from Adam and Eve and everybody else in the human race? Heaven sent down the second person of the Trinity who became a man and his sufferings. You watch the movie, 18 Hours, The Passion of the Christ. His 18 hours of suffering, that was the medicine. That was, that's what was needed to repair the damage of all the sins in the world starting from Adam and Eve. Yeah, That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. Just when we think about that, when you meditate on the passion, you know, oh, the, uh, man. you know, when you meditate on uh, Though that's a that's a beautiful thing for you to undergo because even though it can be emotional, even though it can be uh, uh, tiring, that's that's the beauty of what Jesus did for us. And you know, there's uh, I know there's other Christians that believe that part of it that He yeah. suffered for us, but they don't participate in that suffering. Just that's, that's right. Yep. That's right. That's yes, it. Eddie, you want to jump on the next paragraph? Uh, okay, we're uh, bottom of page five. Bottom of page five. Okay. Uh, liberation is not static, nor is it merely the cessation of pain and suffering. On the contrary, as I wrote, freedom from diabolic affliction and its effects also means freedom for new life in Christ. The ultimate goal is the salvation of souls, which is a supreme law in the church. You will only slay your giants, the infernal and ancient enemy, with the church's ancient weapons in hand. These ancient weapons include the sacraments and embracing suffering and reparation for one's sins and the sins of others, which will uh, which we will flesh out in more detail. Just the weapons we have are incredible. You know the weapons that we have to fight, and and most Catholics only use a small handful of those weapons, most, and, yeah. uh, if none at all. Yeah, yeah. Most so, yeah. Most Catholics wonder why am I afflicted, diabolically afflicted. God gave you an AR-15, and guess what? It's collecting dust in the basement, and you're walking around with uh, with a paintball gun. Yeah. Many Catholics are, are they're walking around with a spiritual paintball gun. They got they're, they're not they, they can't protect you can't protect yourself with a paintball gun. God gave you an AR-15, but you got to stow it away somewhere. It's 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 rusting. Eddie, on that last cha ch uh, chapter that you read, here's the thing that jumps out at me was the first sentence. Liberation is not static, nor is it merely the cessation of pain and suffering. In other words, some people come to the parish and say, oh, I've done this, that, and the other, played with Ouija boards, slept around prostitutes, went to a black mass. Oh, I'm having headaches. I'm, I'm getting attacked at night. I'm hearing voices. I need help. I need help. 
uh, can you have a priest just pray over me, just lay hands on me, I want the pain to go away, I want the pain to go away, say, okay, are you living with your girlfriend, yeah, you smoke dope every day, yeah, so you go through, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, you got to change all that, no, 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 and then, by the way, you got to start coming to Mass on Sunday, no, I don't do that. You got to start going to confession uh, every week in your instance. No, I, I haven't been to confession in years. Uh, you got to start praying every day. No, that's too hard. In other words, the average person, Eddie, all they want is an aspirin. They want a father aspirin, father so-and-so aspirin. Can you lay your hands on me? Drive this thing out. I want to feel better. The priest says, you got to change your life now. You got to repent and believe in the gospel and you got to become a practicing Catholic. Oh, no, I can't do that. I can't go that far. See, that's, just, what, would you say, that's what Dan would, just said right now. He, that's what he just said yeah. in the paragraph. Yeah, and I would say person. this. I'm, I'm sure you'll agree that by, by giving them that aspirin, because some priests go along with that and they don't uh, force these people to, to, to better their lives, they're actually hurting them because, uh, you know what, all it does is elongate their suffering. It just makes yes. it worse. That's that's the yes. issue is that they, they don't attack the crux of the problem. That's the issue. Eddie, you turn a lot of these Catholics into spiritual heroin addicts. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They feel, they feel good. Father prayed over me. They probably drove some demons out. I feel good for a couple of hours, a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Then it comes back with a vengeance. Seven more friends. Why? Because you still, you're still living in mortal sin. So that demon that was driven out by Father uh, is going to come back with seven more buddies. And now you're going to be worse. You're going to be calling up the parish. Father, it came back. Father, it came back. And again, you'll notice the person hasn't changed their life a bit. They're still living with their boyfriend, their girlfriend. They're still not sacramentally married. They don't go to mass on Sundays. They don't have a prayer life. They watch, they, they still, they're do, doing unclean practices. They get drunk. They smoke dope. Uh, again, it, to, to get, to drive rid of this demon, and, and Dan talks about it later on in the book, he says, you have to make the soul so clean that he has nothing to hold on to. Dan, Dan compares it to, and Father Ripperger, think about scaling a mountain, these, these young guys that climb mountains, and they put their hands on what? A crevice or a protruding rock. The only way you can scale a mountain, there has to be a protruding rock where you can put your hands or your feet, or there has to be a crevice where you can put your hand in or your foot in. That's the only way to scale a mountain, and some guys do it. Well, Dan says what happens is when you return to a life of a state of grace and you live a clean life, and Father Ripperger says the same thing, what happens, now your soul is smooth. The mountain is smooth. The demon has nothing to hold on to. Father Ripperger calls those crevices and, 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 and rocks that protrude, those sins, those imp he calls those holding points. The demon has holding points. And so if, if your soul ha is giving him holding points, He's not going to leave. He doesn't have to leave because he has something to hold on to. It isn't until you make that soul clean, white as snow, where there's no rocks or, or, or crevices or protrusions. He can't hold on to nothing. He has to go. It's that simple. Yeah, Jess, I, I agree. That's 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 straight from Father Ripperger. That's, yeah. that's true because when you think about it, Jess, uh, you know, there, there are things that we, these permissions, because all the sins you mentioned before, living with your boyfriend, all that stuff, no mass, no, 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 uh, uh, confession. These are little permissions that we're giving the demons. And once they get to the point where they're taking over our body at possession, then they uh, claim that. And they have they have temporary rights to us for that reason. That, hey, they gave me permission. I'm here because they invited me in. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, then the light comes that you can't help them. But the priest can help them. But, but it takes some motivation from them, some That's doing on their part. Yeah, yep. it's like going to a gym. You know, you, you're 400 pounds. You go to a gym. It's January. You want to get in shape. 
and then you pay your fee, and then the guys, the coach says, "Okay, I'll see you next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday." You say, "What? I got to no. come in? I thought I thought I just had to pay the fee, and and I'm going to get in shape." No, you pay the fee, then you got to be in here, and I'll be I'll I'll be training you. I got to come every day for an hour. Yes. See, this is where a lot of people are that are diabolically afflicted. They want to pay the membership fee, but they don't want to do the work. That's it, Jess. That's exactly right. Go ahead and take the next paragraph, from shepherd to warrior. Okay, so we're going to get into a, a section here that says, from shepherd to warrior. David was a shepherd boy whose father had sent to the, uh, had sent to the battlefield to bring food to his brothers. The two armies faced each other, and David arrived just in time to see a Philistine warrior named Goliath mock and challenge the Israelite army. Standing nearly 10 feet tall, and by some accounts, Goliath was a formidable opponent. The Philistine champion was not only a towering figure, but also seasoned, a warrior since his youth. That's 1 Samuel 17. Uh, He challenged the men of Israel with a showdown seen only in Homeric epics. Uh, The stakes were high. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why come out in battle formation? I am a Philistine, and you are Saul's servants. Choose one of your men and have him come down to me. If he beats me in combat and kills me, we will be your vassals. But if I beat him and kill him, you shall be our vassals and serve us. Uh, so this is he's getting called out right here, David. That's uh, right. Uh, just, hold hold David, that yeah. thought. Jesus 911, we'll be right back. We're talking about from shepherd to warrior. Catholic Spiritual Warfare. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Anybody who's serious about spiritual warfare, I would recommend they get the book, the Liber Crystal Method, a field, a field manual for spiritual combat. Maybe I'll have my, uh, I'll have my, the Mr. Engineer put the book uh, underneath as we do these shows so people can see the resources that we're using. It's from 10 books. Dr. Dan Schneider put it together. It's basically Father Chad Ripperger and Kyle Clements. It's their intellectual property. They've been working together for 20 years on an exorcism team. And this is basically all their years of research. So, from Shepherd to Warrior, it says, Vassals is a polite gloss for slave. The Greek word used is, in fact, the lowest form of menial slave or doulos. Many demons have attested to, to, under command by an exorcist in solemn session, a very sobering reality to the victor of this spiritual battle. To wit, if a person dies in a state of mortal sin, that person will be the slave for eternity of the demon who enticed him to mortal sin. The torment of enslavement, both experienced now and for eternity, is the goal of the demon. Eddie, when I was a young guy and I was a cop in, in, in the sheriff's department, sometimes you'd arrest somebody. And some of these, you know, guys, these street guys that were, you know, the tough street guys, they had no concept of what they were saying. They were very intellectually malformed. They would say, officer, I'm not afraid of going to hell when I die. It's going to be like the county jail. I'm going to be there with all the fellas. It'll be like being in prison. I'll be there with all my buddies, all my homeboys. Again, homeboys, and even back then I knew, I said, wait a minute, 
hell is, it's not the county jail. It's a place of torture. You know what torture means? No, you don't know because we can't torture you guys in, in the United States. It's not allowed and, and or nor should we. I said, hell is torture. And like Father Ripperger and, and Dan right here, the demon that tempted you, the, 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 that final last mortal sin that got the person to hell, that demon now is going to become the one who tortures you for eternity. So not only will he be torturing you every day, he's going to be laughing, saying, hey, sucker, that last sin that you co that committed, that sin of despair, Judas, that caused you to commit suicide and, 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 and despair of the mercy of God. I'm the demon of despair and I'm going to torture you every day because you listen to me. So the demon that tor tormented you, tempted you to that mortal sin that caused you to fall into hell will be the one that tortures you forever. Not a pleasant thought. Nope, nope. Let's go on, Jess. It says here, what keeps most people enslaved is fear. Because of fear, the story continues. Not a single soldier from the Isra uh, Israelite army accepted the Philistines' challenge. Even King Saul, who himself stood head and shoulders above the people, that's in 1 Samuel, uh, was afraid to meet Goliath in battle. In fact, Scripture tells us that the king in, uh, Saul himself was tormented by evil spirits due to his own disobedience to God's commands and pride. Uh, an astute reader may note how the sacred author describes the inner disposition of Saul that was not only the source of his fear, but also that which attracts the demons. The king was not only disobedient and proud, he erected a trophy in his own honor uh, in 1 Samuel. He was vain, fearing man rather than fearing God, angry and resentful to the point of rage, murderous, melancholic to the point of despair, performed liturgical rituals that only a priest should do, and finally abandoned God and consulted with a witch in direct violation of God's command against conjurers, fortune tellers, and the like. He exhibits what we term as psychological compatibility with the demon. And these things must be eradicated from a soul as, pre as prerequisites for liber liberation. Simply stated, if you want to attract the demon to you and quickly do the things that Saul did. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah and all the biblical all the biblical uh, passages are there uh yes yeah. i skipped over them but all the right. things that uh, saul was doing is in the bible yeah it, 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 they're all sins that offend god and they're, they're in scripture it says here david conversely was a man after god's own heart first samuel 13 14 who replaced saul as king his fearlessness flowed from his deep faith in god only David, a shepherd boy who had become the king's armor bearer, accepted Goliath's challenge. Do not be surprised, however, if you find little encouragement in your desire to find liberation. The demon will do everything in his power to keep you in fear and under his control. No one thought that David could defeat the Philistine giant, not even his own brother, who ridiculed him just as he was walking out to face Goliath. Listen to this voice and you may hear echoes of the tempter who tries to keep you from seeking liberation. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 28, when Eliab, his oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he grew angry with David and said, why did you come down? With whom have you, with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your dishonest heart. You came down to enjoy the battle. 
Even King Saul reminded David that he's a mere youth, while Goliath has been a warrior from his youth, 1 Samuel 17, 33. Thus, it is often those closest to us who seek to prevent us from seeking liberation. Very interesting. Very yes. Interesting. Let's go on. Now, on the plains of Bethlehem, where David tended sheep, however, he himself learned how to fight off apex predators like bears and lions, not with swords and spears, but with something both advanced and primitive, a slingshot. Casting off Saul's uh, armor, David applied guerrilla warfare tactics, tactics similar to Roger's rangers. He went to a river and picked out five smooth stones and put them into his uh, ammo pouch. This does not imply that David lacked faith, but rather showed his preparedness for any contingency in battle, uh, not unlike Roger's rules, which said that each ranger must have 60 rounds of powder and ball and be ready to march at a minute's warning. Although uh, not mentioned in the narrative account of the battle, some speculate that David may have known that Goliath had four brothers, or some did, uh, or sons. Also, giants, uh, according to later accounts of the Philistine Wars. According to the Old Testament, there were four other Philistine giants in Gath who were born as descendants of the giants in Gath uh, to Rapha, a household, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his slaves. Wow. So, Go ahead, Justin. So David killed other giants apart from Goliath. That's, that's, uh, that's new to me. But the Bible verse is right there. More than yes. likely, however, the sacred author's intention of five is a symbolic reference to the Torah, the law of God, which is found in the first five books of the Old Testament, or Pentateuch in Greek. In addition, stone was considered the most lasting writing material in antiquity, and thus the Ten Commandments were written on stone tablets. If you look at Exodus 24, 13, because the contents of stone vessels were not subject to impurity, as were earthen vessels, stone jars were used for ritual purification. The flowing water of a wadi would have, would have produced the smoothest stones, which increases the accuracy of the projectile. This is a key principle to liberation. The smooth stones that are imbued with the, with the power of God are to be found in adherence to the law of God. The waters which produce the stones points to the waters of baptism and the five points of the five wounds of Christ, as the early church fathers noted. Baptismal dignity, fidelity, and adherence to the doctrinal and moral teachings of the Catholic Church are essential elements of liberation. To the extent that one strays from these, he presents vulnerabilities for the demons to exploit. That sentence is important there, okay? To the extent that one strays from these, in other words, from living your Catholic faith, the sacraments, he presents vulnerabilities for the demon to exploit. While we have had many cases where liberation consisted in saying a specific prayer, albeit not known which one until much later in the process, there is no quick path to liberation. Victory rise, lies in right belief, orthodoxy, and right practice, orthopractice, orthopraxy. Eddie, something interesting that, that Dan teaches and, and Kyle as well, they said that every single person that it, uh, encases a possession, every single, them, every single one of them, they've noticed uh, that they all embrace a Marian heresy. Everybody who's possessed has, doesn't have a full understanding of the four Marian dogmas. So one of the things they say that, they, and Father Ripperger says is in all possession cases, the possessed person, they'll say, oh, Mary had other kids. Get, get, get out of here. Get out of here. She wasn't assumed into heaven. Her body somewhere. So a possessed person, uh, 
has de a deficient understanding of Mary. So that's one of the catechesis is to get the possessed person to embrace all four Marian dogmas. Father Rippergrit, Kyle, and Dan teach that co uh, consistently. You know, just that's very important because uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary is the one that shows up, whether overtly yeah. or, or uh, you know, not overtly, uh, at every liberation. So, of course, she's going to play a part in it. And if they have a misunderstanding of, of the doctor, of the doctrines of Mary, then, uh, then yeah, they're, they're not going to be, uh, they're not going to be liberated. That's, uh, that's important. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Eddie, pick it up from there. Where it says armed okay. then. Uh, yeah. Armed, yeah, armed then with the law and in the name of God, the Father Almighty, David came confidently toward uh, against Goliath. He had rest, re, he had recounted to King Saul the reason for his confidence. As a shepherd tending sheep, whenever a lion or bear came to carry off a sheep from the flock, I would go after it and attack it and rescue the prey from its mouth. If it attacked me, I would seize it by the jaw, strike it, and kill it. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, David was a little bit of a, a Johnny bad, but there, uh, just Yeah, yeah, he sure was. Having killed both the lion and the bear, he knows how to kill this giant. With faith in the living God and human effort, see, both faith in the living God and human effort, that's how you get liberated, faith in the living God and human effort. Cunning and skill, with his trust totally in God, David raced towards Goliath and cried out, You come against me with a sword and spear and scimitar, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, that you have insulted, 1 Samuel 17, 45. Moving in at close quarters, waiting for the precise moment, he used unconventional tactics that would make Robert, uh, Robert Rogers proud. David put his hand into the bag, took out a stone, hurled it with a sling, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone embedded itself in his brow, and he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David triumphed over the Philistine with sling and stone. He struck the Philistine dead and did it with a, without, without a sword in his hand. Then David ran and stood over him with the Philistine's own sword, which he drew from his sheath. He killed him and cut off his head. Seeing their hero killed, the Philistine's army turned in flight and were cut down by the Israelite soldiers. Go ahead, Eddie. Do you believe that you have the skills to defeat your enemy, however huge he may seem, and that God will guide your stone? We will show you tactics that are the uh, are, are are as the slingshot was to David, both primitive, primitive and advanced at the same time. You, however, must have the faith and courage to put your hand into the bag and reach for the stone. You must also race towards Goliath with the ancient weapons of the Catholic Church in hand. The stakes are high, slavery to the lo to the loser, but peace and the reward of eternal life with God in heaven to the victor. It's all we'll about... We'll see you next week. Same time. Jesus 911. God bless you. Keep the faith. <laughs>